Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. My name is Janet Doby, and this is my story. My life before Jesus. I lived my life trying to do good, but made major mistakes and felt lots of guilt. I thought I could not be forgiven. I had a good life, but struggled with depression at times and was not sure what life was about. I drank and did drugs to find happiness. What led me to follow Jesus? The load of guilt that I lived with made me search for help. I knew the story of Christ from my Catholic upbringing, but several friends told me about salvation. I read the verse that said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And felt the Lord calling me to come to him. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at a church service at my friend's church and found real peace in my soul my life since. After I accepted Christ, I hungered for God's word and grew in my faith through wonderful pastors and friends who taught me. Jesus has blessed my life in innumerable ways in the years since my salvation. I strive by the Holy Spirit to follow my Lord's leading each day. I still mess up, but I know I am forgiven. I have known amazing joy and fulfillment in my walk with Jesus. And as it says in the book of Ephesians 3.20, I know that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing what we can do in a year. Yeah, give us a hand for that. That's some cool stuff. That's some cool stuff. Yeah. So you you know all that stuff, and if you're if you're uh, relatively new with us, that was all stuff we did last year, and and um, that we had a, we had a zombie event. That if you're wondering like what was that all about, it was the most amazing thing for high school students, basically challenging them with the, the idea. I mean, doing this huge fun zombie game all over the campus, and then challenging them with the fact that we're all basically walking dead until we have the touch of of Jesus in our lives, and. It was just super cool. So um, I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church, and it is awesome to see so many of you out here on a Saturday, and uh, that's exciting. Maybe some of you got the memo if you've been coming on Sundays, it's been getting full, and so you've been hopefully coming over to Saturdays, and the plan is, hopefully, as we continue to grow Saturday, the ultimate plan would be to have two on Saturday, so you could serve in one service and then attend the other, so, because I know some of you are coming back Sundays to serve, which is awesome, but we'd love to be able to have you just do Saturday and then be done. 
So that's our kind of path forward um, until at some point we're able to be at the place where we can develop the rest of our land across the way. So it's just exciting to see you guys here. And as Art was mentioning earlier, I love the energy of, of Saturday. This is really cool. But um, as we look at 2016 as well, you know, there's a couple of just details. I, and you, if you guys got this in your program, but a couple of things that are pretty awesome. Last year, we tallied everything up. We had 106 first-time decisions for Christ last year. That's pretty amazing. Let's give ourselves a hand for that. That's awesome. That means 106 people over the course of the year checked in their card and said, you know what, I am, I am making Jesus my Savior. I'm going to choose to follow him. And uh, that's what our church is supposed to be doing. We had 38 baptisms. We saw 66 new members uh, come into membership here. We had, uh, had kind of reached a, p- a peak of 901 in terms of a non-holiday attendance, not counting Easter or Christmas Eve, anything like that. Um, about 157 just fourth grade or third grade and below, and then our students were about uh, 97, and we had 342 households, not people, but households, visit us for the first time. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that you guys are, are inviting your friends and neighbors, you're inviting people that you know, and saying, hey, you got to come check this out. And, uh, and that's just really awesome. And so what we're hoping is that this year, as we look at 2017, that God continues to, to do what he's been doing here at this church. I'm sensing an incredible excitement. There's people I'm, I'm, I've never seen before, you know, walking around, uh, coming on campus and starting to come two, three, four, five weeks. We're seeing a lot of people at our backstage pass event for third-time guests, and that's, that's and really exciting to me. And what I'm hoping is that God will multiply, multiply everything that we're doing to levels that, that we could just never possibly do on our own. In fact, that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, there's an old riddle that kind of goes like this. They said, if you had a, if you had a choice between um, taking one of two options, either a either million dollars right now, you have someone give you a check for a million bucks, or you could take a penny, but the penny would double every day for 30 days, which would you take? Yeah, what is it? You know, you can't ruin it, okay? Whoever you are out there. Just if you know it, just be cool. No, I'm just kidding. But, but so, so the, the thought is like, hey, you know what? Million bucks, man. If someone hands you a check for a million dollars, I mean, think what you could do with that right now, right? But the idea is if you took the penny and doubled it, you think, man, what, what's just a penny? It's nothing. It's a little tiny. I mean, this is, uh, I don't even know. It's 2016. That's kind of relatively new. It's 2016 penny. So here's what would happen. If you doubled it every day for a week, then after, after one week, you only have $1.28. Now, those of you math people, if you try to like fact check me on this, I'm going to get mad, okay? Because I did this. I did. I worked it out, okay? And you, you start with zero, so you have to double it on the first day. That's how it works. So don't mess with me, okay? So it's basically the same, okay? So after a week, you have $1.28. That isn't squat right? You're getting nervous. Second week, you only have $163.84. A lot more, but it's nothing after two weeks, right? After three weeks, you have $21,000. Now, that's pretty good, but it pales in comparison to the million. But where the real money is made is in the final week, and if you were to double a penny for 30 days, you would end up with $10.7 million, more than 10 times the original other option of $1 million. And 
why is that? It is the power of multiplication has been applied to this penny. That's the only thing that can take it from something that you just like almost throw on the ground to something that would be incredibly valuable. Now when it comes to how God works in the world, what I want to tell you this evening is that God loves multiplication. It is his favorite type of math. It is his favorite type of math because it's something only he can control. We like addition because addition, you can control addition. You can, can, you can forecast addition. You can plan for addition. But God loves multiplication because multiplication takes things outside of our control. I saw this really cool movie yesterday called The Founder. It's the story of McDonald's. It's a very interesting movie. If you get a chance, you should see it. It's with starring Michael Keaton and a few other people. And it's the whole story of how Ray Kroc basically kind of grabbed the company out from underneath the McDonald's brothers. But the whole concept of how he did it was that the, the McDonald's brothers were very, they were very good at what they did, but they were interested in addition. They wanted to add stores, but they didn't want to add them too fast. They wanted to go very slow with very high control in a way they could plan and, and manage very effectively. Ray Kroc came in and said, you guys are missing the opportunity. And he began to multiply McDonald's all over the country so fast that it got so far out of control in, far, in, in terms of the McDonald's brothers' ability to contain it that Ray Kroc grew far faster inside the company than even the ones who actually started the company. But it was an incredible movie on the power of multiplication. It creates chaos. It creates a situation that wasn't there before. And I'm telling you, when you read scripture, God loves it and God does it. So what I want us to do this evening is take a little tour of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is found after the book of John, the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, you can flip there. We're going to be kind of going around kind of in a survey fashion, but we're going to get, rather than, rather than taking a, a really deep focus into, into one little verse, we're going to kind of take a broad 50,000 foot view as to kind of the broad strokes of what God is trying to tell us through an entire book of Acts. But when we see it, we're going to understand how God loves to think exponentially and act exponentially in the world, and what does that mean for us? And so there are three episodes that occur in the, um, in the book of Acts that kind of illustrate how Christianity went from just a handful of disciples. Really, I mean, there were 12, but then there were 11 because Judas kind of went off the reservation, so they had to find another guy. And then, you know, this, just very slowly, and all of a sudden, how did it go from something that was a rogue kind of rebellious kind of off-the-grid faith to something that actually took over the Roman Empire and has changed history in a way that no other faith, no other worldview has. How did that happen? The only answer is that God loves multiplication. It's chaotic, it's messy, it's crazy. Human beings can't contain it, even though they will try, but God loves it, and he does whatever he has to do to keep it moving. So I want to look at three illustrations of this in the book of Acts, and then we'll kind of talk about so what? Why is that so important? But we start off first, starting with Acts chapter 5. 
And, and I'll put the verses on the screen. If you want to flip there too, you can follow along in your Bible. But what happened is, as soon as Jesus ascends into heaven, then things kind of start to get crazy. The Holy Spirit falls upon the believers in the upper room. And if you don't know this, it's okay. I'm going to give you kind of like a drink from the fire hose. But there's like tongues of fire that kind of rest on them. They start speaking other languages and, and, and in, in a way that other people of other cultures can understand that had been coming to Jerusalem to visit. And it's a crazy kind of a thing. But all of a sudden, it's happening so fast. And then, and then it's, it gets threatened because the disciples, who are the main drivers of this, they end up getting thrown in jail. And this is what happens. Well, I'll just read it. It says, And more than ever... This is verse 14 of chapter 5. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. This was a very unique time in history, by the way. This doesn't happen a lot. This is, you know, Gabe can't walk by, you know, you guys with his shadow and you expect to, you know, have your flu get healed. So don't look to him or Dave or anybody else, um, not even myself. Don't look for any of us for our shadow to fall upon. This is a unique time in history, but God was doing amazing things. Look what happens next. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they all were healed. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. What are they trying to do? They're trying to shut down the movement of God that they cannot contain and control. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And why did that happen? Because God loves it when his word is moving forward, when his truth and his grace is going out, and when something threatened it, he went out and dealt with it. He sent the angel of the Lord, and you can imagine this guy just walking. There's no record of exactly how it happened, but I imagine if the angel of the Lord, who is traditionally a pretty hardcore dude in Scripture, walked into the prison, those guys are backing off. And he walked up, unlocked the door. Come on, guys. Go back out there. Ignore the haters. Get out there and do your thing. Okay, have a nice day. And he's gone. And what happened? The movement continued. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Check it out. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, people that were trying to shut this thing down, became obedient to the faith. Why? Because God's favorite form of math is multiplication. Because it's chaotic. It's crazy. It's wild. It's something that we can't always wrap our minds around when things begin to increase exponentially. And this is what's happening early on. The second episode involves a guy named Saul who was the smartest, most passionate, at the same time most vicious and destructive um, Pharisee of them all. So he was an enemy of, of any type of Christian. And he made it his life's goal to shut down Christianity. He would go and actually take people out of their homes. He would... Um, deport them away from out of the area to bring them back to Jerusalem because they were kind of in the outlying areas and he would want them uh, basically tried and convicted of, of heresy or blasphemy and then killed. And he had his whole life's goal to shut down this radical movement of Christianity. So what happens to him? Well, he's on his way to 
a city called Damascus, when all of a sudden, this combination of like this light and this powerful force just hits him, knocks him to the ground. He is blinded for three days, and a voice comes out of heaven and says, Saul, what do you think you're doing? And Saul's like, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing. This is the Tim Jacobs version. And he, say, he, say, he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the next town, and wait to receive instructions for what's going to happen to you next. Basically, I'm going to turn the greatest enemy of Christianity into its best friend, and that means you, and I'm going to turn you into somebody who's now going to be a mouthpiece and a force for me. Saul had nothing to do with this other than he was set out to be an enemy of God and he turned out to be one of the most powerful tools that God used. And so what happens? This shocks the entire Christian world because, I mean, literally this guy was, was, he made people so afraid that they would disperse and run away and leave their homes out of fear. And all of a sudden they hear that this guy who was basically a terrorist becomes someone who is bowed his knee to Jesus. And look what happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. Now what's interesting about this, in the first episode, these events took place in Jerusalem, kind of a very small geographical area. Then this next event with Saul took place in Judea and Samaria and Galilee, so an area outside. What are you seeing? The concentric circles of the power of God changing people, bringing grace and healing and forgiveness to people in a concentrically expanding way. So that's the second episode. This is what the whole book of Acts is trying to show you. It's not just a bunch of collections of random thoughts. It is a progression of a story of showing the power of God and how much he loves to multiply exponentially beyond what we could actually do so that he's running the process. Now, the third episode involves Peter again, who also had a vision because he was in the jail the first time. But this also involves Peter, but it starts off with Peter having a vision. And in this vision that Peter has, he basically is shown and schooled on the fact that Christianity is not merely for Jewish people. Up until that time, again, they hadn't had 2,000 years of church history or Christian history like we do. This was all brand new, and they made the assumption that, you know, this whole thing is just kind of to be a reformed element of Judaism. They hadn't thought about people outside of Judaism. And all of a sudden, through this vision, to boil it down and just give you the Cliff Notes version, Peter is convinced that Christianity does not only belong to Jewish people, belongs to people outside the Jewish faith, the, what we might call the Gentile world, which is basically all of us, unless you're a Jewish person who's sitting here, unless you have Jewish roots or whatever. You're a Jewish person. But anybody outside that, that's us. That's every non-Jew. And Peter is convinced that God, that, that God wants him to spread Christianity beyond the bounds of merely just the Jewish people, which is huge. Now, if something's going to grow exponentially, it's got to include everybody, not just Jews. So what happens right after this? Guess who's thrown back in the slammer? It's Peter. But this time it's really bad. Because James, the brother of John, and those James and John, if you've heard of those guys, um, James is executed by the same guy who's in prison, Peter, who's a governor. He's a Roman governor of the area. Very powerful guy. 
And so what happens is as soon as, he's, as soon as he's thrown into the slammer, a bunch of Peter's friends get together at a nearby home and they're praying for Peter's release. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden one night as they're praying for Peter's release, they hear a little knock on the door. So this little girl comes over and says, who is it? And the voice outside says, it's Peter. She's like, no way, this is so cool. So she runs back into the room and says, hey guys, Peter's at the door. They're like, no, that's not Peter. Come on, we're praying for Peter because he's in jail, don't you know? I mean, get it right. The whole reason we're here is because Peter's in jail. He's not knocking at the door. In fact, they actually say it's not Peter, it's probably Peter's angel. Now, why would they say that? Because in their belief at that time, they thought that if when a person died, that everybody had a guardian angel, and when that person died, that that person's guardian angel would actually make an appearance. And so, they, so not, when they said it's, it's, it's Peter's angel, they actually had come to the conclusion, well, he's probably dead. So here they are praying for Peter's release. Peter comes to the door. They don't even want to come to the door because they don't think it's him. It can't be him because we're just, we're praying that he gets out and it's like, like God's going to actually do that. So she runs back to the door again. It's like, you know, it's really Peter. And so Peter's outside. He's knocking. He's like, man, I got to get some better friends, you know. I mean, it's cold out here, you know. And uh, he's waiting. He's probably afraid he's going to get rearrested. He's like, will you guys just let me in your stupid house? Well, finally, let me Wow, it's Peter. I can't believe you. Know, it's the craziest thing. We were just praying that you'd get out. How does that? That's the weirdest thing in the world. We prayed for you, and you showed up. That's the weirdest thing in the world, right? But this is what happens. And, because, and, and, then, and then right after, or another chapter later, what happens? Totally coinciding with that, in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. So every time, as, the, as, as concentrically God is doing things beyond what they can understand, and there is a threat or an attempt to stop it and curtail it, God intervenes miraculously by sending angels and, you know, knocking people on the ground and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to remove those threats so that the multiplication can continue to happen. And why? Because God's favorite type of math is multiplication. God loves doing things that humanity cannot explain or control or contain, they cannot plan for, that they cannot stop, and he's still, here's the point that I want to make. You say, okay, what's the point? The same God who was excited about multiplication then, who loved multiplication then, still loves multiplication today. The same God who wants to do things beyond what we can understand and beyond what we can control is the same God, the same God who did it then, and we can read about it in Acts, is the same one who does it now. But instead of the, of the blocks or the preventers or the, the, um, the, 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 uh, the barricades being, you know, really bad guys like Saul and bad guys like the Roman governor or the Pharisees, the ones that are often the ones who get in the way the most are us. It's us. Because we so often lack vision. We so often lack imagination. And we have become so often cynical because the more you live life on this earth and the more you develop habits and patterns and expectations, the smaller the realm of what God is capable of doing 
becomes. To where you go, yeah, he used to do stuff like that, but he doesn't really do stuff like that anymore. Or, you know, it'd be really great if this happened, but it's probably not going to happen. And our expectations and our thoughts of what could be and the quality of our prayers diminish. And I think that if we had transcripts of our prayers read in front of all of us, we would probably be very embarrassed of how small they really are and how limited they really are and how myopic and maybe even sometimes kind of cynical. God is in the business of multiplication. It's his kind of math. And I gave you three very incidental, concrete, factual examples of the movement of the Spirit of God, starting with Jerusalem, with a very limited geographical scope of, of Jewish believers on into the area and region around Jerusalem geographically and finally crossing that threshold into the non-Jewish world, into the Roman Empire where Paul would continue to go and continue to encounter resistance and that resistance would be knocked down. And then finally, well, I'll talk about this later, but so the question I want to ask us is this. What would it look like what would have to happen for multiplication, for the kind of stuff that God was at work doing there? Because he's still doing it around the world today. And we know, I don't have time to get into all the different studies and everything else, but God is doing amazing, powerful work in the world today. We don't necessarily see it as much as we could or we should. But there are people that, some guys that I run with, um, some of the top guys in the nation that study this stuff, there's a, there's a conference called the Exponential Conference. It's held twice a year, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Thousands of pastors and leaders go to it and are praying to say, God, would you just, let, would you just get us out of the way? Would you get us, would you get us, would you expand our minds? Could we see beyond and see something that you're doing that's brand new and amazing and stuff that we even see happening in other parts of the world? Could it happen here in America? But what would have to happen here at Compass Church in 2017 to really be an indicator that, that God is in that business of multiplication? Because I'm going to tell you, no matter what, it's got to be something that gets us out of the way. We, as much as mankind tries to contain what God's doing, we've got to let it be unleashed. So what would happen? Let me give you three things. And again, they all just come from reading the book of Acts and you see this happening. The first thing that would be this. There would be disciples Making disciples. That's the first thing that would happen. What do I mean by that? That the business of caring for people spiritually cannot just be the people that are hired by the church to be the pastoral team. It cannot just be the leadership like our elders or even connection group leaders. What would have to happen for, for God to be doing this multiplicative kind of event in our church would be that every person who calls himself a Christian would of course be a disciple because that's by definition a person who follows Christ. But the disciples themselves would be making disciples who would in turn then be making disciples. And so every single one of us would claim responsibility for someone in our network or several people in our network in our circle. 
That we wouldn't just walk around going, okay, well, you know, I'm on the low end of the totem pole when it comes to Christianity because I'm not one of these like paid pastors or some spiritual guy. I'm in a Bible school. Who cares? I would, I, you would say to yourself, you know what? It is my job as the ver- from the very fact that I'm a Christian to look around and say, who can be looking to me to get closer to Jesus? That that would be your life's business. That your job would only be an incidental element of accomplishing that. Your job is just your doorway into people that are out there. Your neighborhood is just your doorway into people that are out there. But the real business of the disciple is to be someone who makes disciples. And so you would ask the question, to whom has God called me to help become more like Jesus? Who has God called me? Where, where are they? Who are the people in my life right now that I know God is saying, you know what, I want you to claim responsibility for these people and and help them see the grace and truth of my son Jesus. But it wouldn't just stop there. That you would actually say, this is, again, you got to think about this. This might break your brain a little bit. But you'd sit down with the person, and as you're leading them, as you're talking with them, as you're encouraging them, you begin to ask them, hey, who are you bringing along? See, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says to his protege Timothy, he says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to, be rel- to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Now that's a mouthful, but there's four layers there. He's saying the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable men, other people, who will also be qualified to teach others. There's four levels happening there. What is it? It's not some kind of like multi-level marketing scheme. What it is is I'm going to try to help you become what I've become. I want you to see Jesus the way I see Jesus. And then I want you to find someone who helps you see Jesus the way that you see Jesus. That's all it is. It's the business of making disciples. And when you got something like that, you got something you can't stop. You got something that just starts to blow up and people don't know what to do and it gets messy and crazy and all this stuff. And it's because you can't, you can plan for addition. Well, you know, we projected at this time we'll have this many and this time we'll have this many. You, you, you can project linearly, but exponentially it gets, you have to change new, you have to get new systems. We have to start new churches. We'd have, we'd run out of space. We have all this crazy stuff happening. But what is the, what, what is it guys? It's you coming to a place in your life where you say, why am I still on this earth? Why has God not saved me and taken me directly to heaven? Is it so I can just build up my retirement account and pass it on to my kids? No! You are left on this planet to be a voice and an example to show other people the irresistible grace of Jesus. That's why. Now here's the thing. Some of you guys think, well, I know, but that's, you know, I don't know enough. I'd probably, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of new, and I, I'd probably lead people astray. You know, in the book of Acts, when it says multitudes of people were coming, they weren't going to Bible school first. It didn't say 10,000 people graduated from Jerusalem Bible Academy and then went out. They didn't have that. And by the way, when you study this stuff, like, I have been privileged to study these things and the, when they've sent me to different schools. And that kind of, you know where, the, where all the heresies and the offshoots and the crazies come from? It's not from the people who are the less educated. It's the people who are the overeducated. The ones that, know, that, that, that uh, study this stuff too much, they're the ones that end up going off the deep end. Because they get in the ivory tower and they start getting arrogant and they're like, oh, I know this and I know that. And they start leading people astray. 
You don't have heresies from people that walk around going, I don't really know a lot, but this is what I think I, I think is true. And that may be where you are, and that's exactly, I mean, of course God wants you to grow in your knowledge, but do, you don't, it's, it's kind of like, you know, those of you guys that, you, you get married, and you're like, well, should we have a baby? Well, we got to get the baby room ready first, and we got to get the right house, and we got to make sure we get the income right, and everything. Dude, just get a bottle of wine and go upstairs and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like seven billion people have figured it out already. It's not that hard, you know? Things start growing. Well, we better get a baby room together. You figure it out. So you just go and you say, look, God's already put people in your life who, who Jesus says are facing an eternity without him unless someone tells them. Well, who's that going to be? Well, I would take a look in the mirror. It's probably you. So, they'd just be disciples making disciples. The second thing, would there be, there would be dramatic life change. Dramatic life change. See, we're not just here to grow a church, honestly. We're not here just to get more butts in the seats, you know, where people go, oh, I show up and I give a little money in and, you know, and this is great and I can put a little sticker on my car and so I go to Compass Church and... That's not why we're here. We're here to change our community. And if we're doing our job, alcoholism in our community should be going down because people will be rejecting the idol of the bottle. Pornography should be something that goes down because people are not going. See, pornography takes the beautiful gift of sex and and rips the value right out of it. And, it, and it, it crushes the soul of the person. And we would hope that as people come to Jesus, all they would be doing is knocking down idols that are just bad gods. You know? Just terrible gods. Terrible things that they give their attention and their heart to and they put their trust in as though that is where life is found and it's not found there. And when they, they, they don't realize that until it's too late. So we would see these dramatic life changes. People walking away from something. Did you know in the book of Acts, there's a, there's a scene in the, in, in the city of Ephesus where so many people are becoming Christians that the guys who make little trinkets of, of the statue of Artemis, who was like their goddess that everybody worshipped, and they would like sell little statues to people as like little keepsakes, that they were going out of business because nobody wanted them anymore. And they got angry at Paul for converting all these people to, to Christ, so they were trying to trump up charges against him and the other Christian followers, and they started a riot in the city because they were so mad because Christianity was changing the economics of the community. So we would hope that while we want to be a community that, that has this great with businesses around here, that people that would, that would want to come here and say, man, let's, let's go to Goodyear, let's go to this part of town and let's set up a, a strip joint, that they would go, man, that's like the worst place you want to set. There, no one's going to go to that because we got a bunch of dudes that are in love with their wives and they'd just rather do their own thing in the, you know, in the bedroom there. They don't want to go see anybody else. They're excited about what they got. How cool is that? But what is that? That's when you're, it's life change, man. It's when you're like, when you're saying, this, I'm going to do things the way God wants me to do them and I discover life and all of that. The people would walk away from the idol of debt 
This unending appetite for more and more, which causes us to run up credit cards and borrow against our future and brings pain and divides people and shatters families. We wouldn't hold up the house and the car and the thing as God anymore. That we'd be content with what we have because we have Jesus. These are the kind of things that you would expect in, a, in an environment where God is multiplying things in a way it's changing the, the, the fabric of what's around you. And you have to ask yourself, is that really possible? And the answer to me that I would give is, it's only possible if you allow God to work through you where you are. I remain convinced that we have a crisis of manhood in our community. That we've got to be challenging our men to do the job that God has called them to do. Stand up for the poor and the broken and the powerless and to look out for the orphan and the widow and to use their strength to do good. And when they do that, you know, and it's amazing. Um, and I don't want to get political. I really don't. But just, this just came to me in my head. I was watching this, this uh, women's march thing today out in Washington. And I look at that, and there's a lot of different things that you could say about it. But I, all I can do as an as observer of all that is I wonder how many of those women that took the time to fly to Washington— and to, and, to, and to wear, you know, um, obscene things on their heads. And to, and to hold up um, um, profanity. Which just goes against everything feminine, by the way. It goes against everything that's feminine and beautiful and attractive, by the way. It's not a, those women may be attractive that are there, but they're not acting attractive in what they're doing. But I look at that and I wonder to myself, and then maybe this might make you some of you mad, but I don't know, it's, I'm already down the road, so I might as well keep going. Um... <laughs> How many of those women have been let down by the men in their lives? And they're projecting it all on Trump and on America or on this or that or whatever. They're projecting all of that because they've been hurt. Because it doesn't seem natural. They didn't come out of the womb with a protest sign and a bunch of profanity coming out of their mouth. Anyway, finally... And most importantly, multiplication would bring unlikely people finding grace. You see, I want you to think of the person in your circle or the people who are the least likely candidates to come to know the grace of Jesus. And that's the person I want you to pray for. And if you can't bring yourself to pray for that person, then you got a small and sad God because you don't think he can do it. I want you to think of that person that you think, that person's never going to, that person would never come to Jesus. I want you to pray for that person. And pray what? That they would find what you have found. And why would you ever not want them to? Because as they are, so you were, and you would be still, were it not for Jesus. That's why I love what was shared here this evening, what Joan shared. Don't you love that? I love, I love what she, I love the diversity of people who are getting up here. And by the way, you're next, so you've got to fill your card out, you gotta, or you've got to go online and fill out your little form. If you have any issues, send us an email and 
you know, whatever. But tell us your tell us your life story. Tell us the. And, and do you see how powerful that is to have her come up and just just be real? It, would you have known that about her if you just saw her walking around here? Think, oh, she looks like a nice Christian lady. You didn't realize the things that she had come were places she had been before Jesus found her. That's beautiful. Man, that's what's happening. That's what this place is about. So, where am I going? Oh, yeah. So, here's the thing. We went on this little tour of the book of Acts. Three episodes of how God busted the church through these barriers and continued the business of multiplication. And finally, toward the end, Paul, here toward the end of the book, Paul who was the one killing Christians before. His name was Saul, and he got changed to Paul. Um, but now he's the one who was, he was killing Christians. Now he's, he's out there turning people into believers all over the place. He gets caught again, and, and the, the Jewish people are trying to, the Jewish leaders are trying to, to stop him. And this time, he's put in front of a Roman governor on trial. And he basically lays out his case. And this guy is actually, a, he's, a, he's got a Jewish background. He's, he's a Jew, but he's kind of, he's in cahoots with the Romans, this kind of thing. And his name's uh, King Agrippa. He's kind of the area ruler. Very powerful guy. And so Paul is making his case as to why he is compelled. And he says, look, I have to tell people this, no matter what you do to me, this is so important to me that I have to tell people about this. He's enthusiastic. At one point, one of the guys says, man, you're out of your mind. And he says, well, maybe so. But this is where I'm at. And this is what I love. This is the great part right here. In Acts chapters 26, verse 28. Then Agrippa, who's the king, said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Whether it takes a short time or a long time, my biggest prayer in life is that not only you, but all the other characters around here as well would know what I know and become what, what I've become. Rescued, forgiven, peace with God. And if it costs me my life, which it did. I mean, he could have just, you know, retired, gone out by the Mediterranean, you know, hung out, rented a little place, and just said, hey, I put my time in. But he gave his life so that people would know what he knew. I want everybody to know. And that is what we want to be about here at Compass. And I could give you a bunch of, like, facts and figures and tell you about all the wonderful, great plans that we have. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that we're doing that we just want to see God increase the effectiveness of what we're doing. We just want to keep doing a lot of things that we're doing. We don't have any great announcement about some, you know, amazing new thing that we found. We believe we've dialed in on who we are and what we do well. One of the things that we do well here is our student ministry. Last week, um, we broke up for the first time our senior high with our middle school. We used to have them all meet together, about 90 or so. 
and we broke them up, and when you combine them together, uh, we, had, we had 37 for our middle school the very first night, because they meet on Wednesday. Their very first kickoff night, they had 37 middle schoolers, they had about 54 high schoolers. It was beautiful because the first, the first week that we did this, we were, they were worried that maybe, ah, if you break them up, is it going to shrink? Is it going to lose energy? And both did incredibly well, and now we have ministries that are better targeted, and I'm telling you, we have people here that want to reach young people in this community for Jesus like you can't believe. Now I can go on and on and on about all the things that we want to do here, but you know more than anything else, I want to see the average quote-unquote person who comes to Compass Church say, you know what, if I'm really going to be part of the family here, if I'm really going to be on the team here, if I'm really going to be like heart deep and neck deep into this church, I'm going to be a person who, who doesn't just show up here, but goes out and looks around and says, God, who have you placed in my midst that I can go up to and say, listen, there is a Jesus who loves you and a God who forgives you and a, a grace that's available and a life you could never even imagine that's so much better than all the crap you're into right now. And he wants to call you to go out and grab all the other people who are suffering and hurting in the world too. Then they're in your circle. If we did that, this place would be completely unstoppable beyond anything I or anyone else could control. That's the vision because it's biblical. It's in Acts. I just gave it to you. That's what we want to do. And to use this place. Every weekend, we are open for business here at Compass Church for you to use this place as a tool. I've got to be, I'm going to level with you. If you're a Christian, I'm glad you're here. But this place is not really for you as a cul-de-sac. This is for you. This is a tool for you to use to bring people who need to see and experience the hope of Jesus. That's what this place is for. I love you, but it's not ultimately for you. I, I'm not here just to make you feel good. I'm here to be kind of like a little bit of a stick in your rib a little bit and make you a little uncomfortable and bug you once in a while so you'll develop and maintain this discontent for the lack of people around you who know Jesus and say we got to fix that problem. That's why we're here. Let's pray. God, thank you for these men and women. They're so awesome. God, what we're doing here is so cool. It's so fun. It breaks my heart to think of the amount of people who, whose church experience has been one of boredom and meanness and emptiness. And it's projected upon any other future experience. God, I would pray that if there's anyone here tonight who wants to put their faith and trust in you and say, man, I want to I be on that team. I want to I share grace. I want to grab grace and I want to share it with somebody else. I want to know the grace of Jesus. Right where they are, they would just say, God, I want to follow you. I want to become a Christian. I want to own this. I want to seize this. I want to I know my sins are forgiven. I want to I want to be able to walk in truth that they would say that to you right now, just between you and them in their heart. And for the rest of us, God, that you would break our hearts for those around us who don't know what you have so graciously given to us. And may our life just simply be a testimony to your work and your love. And may other people know you because of us in jesus name amen thanks for joining us today why not ask god to change your life so you can go and change your world for him 
find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info. And we'll see you next time.